Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Heather Uncensored. Welcome to Dr. Heather Uncensored. This is season two, episode 29, and it's me talking about physician or activist or citizen, heal thyself. I want to poke through the ideas of mass formation as we break the spell so that we can be free. And I will be referring to uh, Patrick Wood, who I interviewed on episode um, 20 on season two, his ideas of technocratic totalitarianism, as well as Stephen Porges, which was season one, episode 40, and his polyvagal theory. And maybe in the future, I'll interview Matthias Desmet, but for now I've read his book, Psychology of Totalitarianism, everybody should read it, in which he decodes the conditions in our world that have allowed for mass hypnosis to take hold, which is really leading to technocratic totalitarianism. So we need to understand what's going on, what went on with COVID, so that it doesn't happen again. But how do we understand what's going on? So let's start with some definitions. Okay, the definition of transhumanism means that a person, humanity, merging with the machine. And as I said, for more on this, see Patrick Wood's books or listen to the episode, season two, episode 20. So what's the difference between dictatorship and totalitarianism? So dictatorship is coming from a very primitive psychological mechanism in which you know, fear and terror arise because of the potential for a very brutal dictatorial regime. Whereas totalitarianism is much more insidious, but still it's a personal sacrifice for the collective. It's the intolerance of dissident voices. It's the susceptibility to propaganda as if it's the truth. And we misunderstand what totalitarianism is because we think about it in terms of concentration camps or labor camps, that kind of thing. But in fact, it's been growing for a long time because, um, as Desmond talks about, in the Enlightenment period, it was you know all about the intellect and all about reason. But we've come to the end of that because of science not being able to integrate more of the mystery, more of the subtleties of life. So the idea of mass formation psychosis, we've been talking about that for several months, maybe years now with COVID, but it goes back also this idea that we are going to cage our thinking to the book, The Rape of the Mind, by the psychiatrist Joost Mierlu in 1956. He was Dutch. And in the foreword, it talks about that this book attempts to depict the strange transformation of the free human mind into an automatically responding machine, a transformation which can be brought about by some of the cultural undercurrents in our present-day society, remember this is 1956, as well as by deliberate experiments in the service of a political ideology. Now you can read his book and find out all these different experiments, but he talks about that the rape of the mind and stealthy mental coercion are among the oldest crimes of mankind. He says they probably began back in prehistoric days when man first discovered that he could exploit human qualities of empathy and understanding in order to exert power over his fellow men. 
people. Um, the word rape is derived from the Latin word rapire, to snatch, but also is related to the words to rave and raven. It means to overwhelm and to enrapture, to invade, to usurp, to pillage, and to steal. The modern words brainwashing, thought control, and menticide serve to provide a clearer conception of the actual methods by which man's integrity can be violated. And that brings us into mass formation, which we've been talking about. Um, And this whole idea feeds on a person's anxiety and the need for its release. And we are in such a state of heightened, heightened anxiety. You just need to go to any shop, walk down any street, be in your own home, be in your own neighborhood. And just like totalitarianism, it's a lack of critical reflection. There's an irrational allocation of empathy, because it's really not empathy for your fellow friend, human. Um, And again, people are willing to accept great personal loss for the collective. And there's this intolerance Whoever does not align with the group think is a traitor. So at this point, I just want to bring in the polyvagal theory. I hope Dr. Porges doesn't mind that this is just something that I've been musing about in terms of his social engagement theory. And I wonder if, first of all, let me explain. Um, Polyvagal theory is the role of the vagus nerve the longest nerve in our body, the wandering nerve, as the vagus is in Latin, in emotion, uh, emotional regulation or social connection and our fear response. So you can see the episode with Porges. What did I say it was? Season one, episode 40. But basically, the vagus nerve is not all calming to what we thought. We thought the vagus nerve, which is the parasympathetic, and it puts out GABA, which is that's the neurotransmitter for calming, We always thought it was just in opposition to the sympathetic nervous system, you know, with the epinephrine and so on, the fight or flight. But in fact, Porges theory theorizes that the dorsal vagus, the back of the vagus, is responsible for the freeze activity. So you either have fight or flight or freeze. And the third, this is the third possibility of being afraid. So Porges also talks about the social engagement, that to bring you back into you know, to heal, to, to center, to ground, um, that this social engagement, you need to connect with the other, with the therapist, or you could connect in a group of people like in a choir, and somehow that this is healing. And this dovetails with what Desmet says in his book of the other, and or the mother. So in the beginning, the baby, you know, is, right, is one with the mother, and in time, as healthy growth, it will then start allowing itself to internalize its own self into itself. Um, and if that's done correctly, then it will become, you know, the individual that it is. So with these things in mind, we need to think about why are people willing to give up their freedom and their empathy and their sense of tolerance, giving it away to people like Fauci, giving it away to Barbara Ferrer, all these people without social, a social critique of the erroneous nature of the public health officials over the last couple of years. So how do we reclaim our humanity 
our open-mindedness in a terrified world. People are experiencing social isolation. We are experiencing increased suicides and, of course, tremendous pharmaceuticals to cover every ill, uh, increased burnout. And a lot of this has come from COVID, but it's also come from years and years of the sense of anxiety that comes from really having meaningless work. We aren't those craftspeople or artists or musicians over the years, you know, what we are doing, maybe piecework or whatever. We don't have meaning in our life. And this is the whole thing about uh, the fact that social connection is dis- decreased, although so much more convenient. I mean, um, but consider working on Zoom all day and you don't really see the person. You don't really touch them in the way that all five senses allow that to kind of feed into your brain, really, in your heart, your soul. And then there's the idea of the masking that children in Los Angeles still, (laughs) I can't believe this is September, sometime in September 2022, and Barbara Freire just said on the television today, oh no, even though there's been hundreds of parents going down there and say, please, we don't want our children to be masked. Oh no, she says. And I think it's very interesting when we talk about totalitarianism. She's really a face of totalitarianism. She really... Just look at her. Oh, no, we have so many other parents that want that. Really? And what is that based on? It's not based on science. That's for sure. And we've seen that children must see faces to develop, or I'm sure if if the child is blind, that they have their fingers to, to probe the face. But it is vitally important that babies and children hear the voice and see facial expressions. Because otherwise, go back to the other or the mother, what is it all about, bonding or not bonding? This is so important to all of us for being alive. So totalitarianism is a logical consequence of mechanistic thinking and believing in the overriding of human rationality. And the end point is ultimately technological control. Because it comes down to that fear and uncertainty that we may have And that can grow into an incredible level of anxiety that can really impinge on our, to the point of sanity. But we must learn to live with uncertainty because the world can't be certain. We must face fears. We have to face our individualization. And at the same time, we need to feel a part of each other. Again, you think of that baby, a strong child separating from the mother. They need to internalize that separation, not feel abandoned, but they must grow and become stronger. So there's something called the WEF, which is the World Economic Forum. And this is run by Klaus Schwab. And they, and apparently, unfortunately, King Charles III is also, does, also goes to those meetings. I was very disappointed to hear that because I know he said he's into organic gardening. Um, but that the future will be conducted online. You know, it will be conducted, as Patrick Wood writes about, the technological control. So all these factors sort of fa- factor into the story that I'm going to tell you about myself in a few minutes. But why, in terms of health and medicine, are people so ignorant about how to heal? Because 
They believe in pills or surgery for every ill. There's a fear for physical and physiological adversity. No connection to the psychological, maybe a little bit lately, or the spiritual, the unknown, the mystery. People have become intensely fearful of disease and suffering, and they can't handle uncertainty. They become super anxious, and they believe in government's rules. So this is all really clear to me because of practicing naturopathic medicine and also understanding that healing can happen through the expressive arts. But modern medicine is an outgrowth of mechanistic thinking. They believe in a defect of the body or an attack by an organism. It needs to be controlled instead of understanding. Understanding it more deeply or all the different causes as possible, not just turning to a pill or surgery. And I think that this failure of medicine, of science, also to acknowledge the divine. I mean, mechanistic science may be great for washing and drying clothes more efficiently, but our person cannot be reduced to atoms or biological organs and being able to live freely with that. Because then we ignore the totality of our being that includes the ethereal, the ethical, and the invisible connections. Because the essence of life is beyond logic, beyond the laws of the mechanistic world. That only applies to a small part of life. It's interesting, it's good, and even, you know, when we do that in terms of, um, say, hydrotherapy or nutrition, I mean, that's all could be part of a mechanistic world, but there's another layer on that as well. And we have to see that nature is so alive, so multidimensional, and to be truly healthy, we must resonate with it. And so now science has come up with, <clears throat> kind of hit a wall in terms of the rational. So science has come, basically hit a wall, come up with chaos theory. And this is basically acknowledging that matter is constantly organizing itself, but it can't be explained in mechanistic terms. I'm not an expert on chaos theory, but I have my ideas. But one of the I think one of the examples of all of this is people being afraid of homeopathy. And I think that in terms of mass formation, is Porges' polyvagal theory, is that gone bad? Is there something wrong there? We're reaching out for people, but we're so desperate to have people like us or to be not abandoned, to be part of the other, to be part of the mother on the greater force, greater level. Is this why this has gone so wrong? Because really we need to come into balance. Uh, my mother always used to say there's a happy balance. And I think that's very true. I also like the quote from Shakespeare, one for all and all for one. So let's just dissect that for a second. One for all. So we all are on this planet. We are, all, you know, people in spiritually say, oh, we're all one. Well, okay, so one for all. We all want the best for all of us. And then all for one. And that means all of us for the one, for the individual, for how we think, how we discuss our differences, our uniquenesses. And remember, Voltaire said, I may disagree with you what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. <laughs> and I also want to just 
uh, quote Matthias Desmond. I love this line. He says, do we view human beings as a biochemical machine that has to be technologically monitored and pharmaceutically adjusted, or as a being that finds its destination in mystical resonance with the other and with the eternal language of nature? So as a naturopathic medical doctor all these years, and also, you know, obviously a lover of nature, vis medicatrice naturae, which means uh, the healing power of nature, believing in that, and not believing that the first thing is to is to pop a pill or to be surgically cut open, that we really need to honor what's going on right now to bring ourselves into our own sense of who we are, to really get in touch with our body, our mind, and our emotions. And we need to understand that there are limits to science, to our intellect. And that's really about my book coming up another 10 days or so um, through Hammersmith Books. Again, thank you so much, Georgina Bentliff and everyone who works with her. Um, I'm really proud of this book. It's called Transforming Trauma. It's very detailed and it will give you a sense of how to help yourself in terms of your emotions, in terms of your mind, in terms of your creativity, and also balance the biochemistry. So that comes to my story of what I wanted to share personally that happened over the last couple of weeks. And this is actually an example of, to me, of mass formation. It's an example of fear. It's an example of just exactly what's going on, basically. During this time, there are a lot of us who have spoken out and we took risks and some people who have, you know, so many more followers than I do really took risks because those are the people that they really are worried about. And I'm really happy with what this podcast has done and the people it's reached. And I really appreciate the good uh, feelings that have been generated my way. And especially I want to shout out to people up in Humboldt. <laughs> um, they are an awesome group of people up there really working towards freedom. And also here, the people who are working against the SAG vaccine mandates. I can't thank you all enough for everybody that's doing what they're doing and um, the rallies, just the rallies in general and all the people who are speaking out. So, and a lot of them are on my podcast. So I guess I've been in a little bit of a bubble because with this publisher, I have um, a really great well, I have several publicists actually around the world. It's amazing after self-publishing. But one of them in Ireland was able to get me on an Irish radio show. So I was all ready for that. It was going to be at 3.30 in the mor uh, morning and I was going to get up, no problem. Um, and then the day before, I got a call that it was cancelled. And why was it cancelled? Because I was going to talk about homeopathy. God forbid. And it's such a shame because... And it's interesting because the virologist, he passed in February, rest in peace, Dr. Montagnier. Luc Montagnier, uh, who was a Nobel Prize winner in physiology or medicine in 2008, he said that homeopathy is made of nanoparticles, that he had understood that through his physicists' friends. So you get these people who are journalists who are so intolerant of something that's just such magical medicine, really. It, it, it's really helped. Um, I've seen it so often help people with um, 
you know, uh, psycho, psychological, you know, just working with PTS or addiction or anything that's deep and, and difficult, it, it's the best. It's the best. So that was really disheartening. Um, and I did write him back and say, it's too bad that journalists are no longer journalists. In any case, that was kind of the couple days before I decided that I was really exhausted and I really needed to get away and that I really felt like writing the book actually was traumatizing for my poor little limp neurons. And I was really seriously tired, which even yesterday I was speaking to someone and who had been out there and they said, oh, we're just so tired. I can't even look at the news anymore. Da, 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 da. But anyways, I was going away. I'm going to go see a few friends. And this is a such a perfect example. I was talking to my friend, my first stop, and she has gotten the jab and she does not understand at all what I'm talking about. But for some reason, I continue to try to get people to understand because it's just so important that that we don't treat each other the way we have. And it's really important that we understand the hazards of vaccination. And if this happens again, that we really can stand up immediately and not let all these children and babies and old people and die or be maimed from such toxic substances. In any case, in any case, um, we went in the pool and it was a, you know, a complex kind of thing. And there was uh, a woman with her kids swimming around. And we just started talking. We started talking about gender dysphoria and vaccinations. And I, I knew the word sex was coming up a lot. So when the woman swam over to me, I said, oh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know, we, we should keep our voices down. And she said, no, 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 no. I'm hearing what you're saying. I really want to talk to your friend. And she looked at her and she said, my friend died of the vaccine. And my friend is, said, oh, I'm sorry. And she, the, this woman clearly didn't think that my friend was empathetic enough. And she kept saying, why do you keep arguing about this? Don't you know this is the truth? This woman had her arm cut off and then cut off again. And then she died. And she just kept talking like that. And she'd go over to her, like, why don't you understand? Why are you, why are you going on like this? And why and why and why? And I thought, you know, it was, it was great for me because of backup. But I saw it right there, the denial in my friend and the frustration in this woman and talking about how it was her colleague the brother of this woman and how this woman had two really small children and the brother you know had to take two weeks off and the husband was absolutely of course devastated the whole family is completely devastated and to see that emotional reaction that my friend didn't have the empathy didn't understand how wrong this was to subject people to such a absolute horror. I mean, what else could be worse? So I had just also gotten in touch with a childhood friend's daughter who I always had appreciated. And, and I had sent her a copy of 
Bobby Kennedy's um, letter to a liberal. And so, of course, she wrote back and she, I said, I'm really sorry you felt like you had to unfriend me on Facebook because of my views on vaccines. And she wrote back, she says, oh, that wasn't the reason that I unfriended you. I unfriended you because my mother asked me to, because they're really into mechanistic thinking, Marxists, I believe. And she said something about pseudoscience referring to naturopathic medicine. <laughs> so again, you see the hypnotic quality, people not discussing I mean, it's not that hard to read. Letter to a Liberal is so fantastic. It's 44 pages, and how wonderful if she had read it, and we could have discussed it instead of just being categorically, categorically denied that. So that's what I wanted to talk about, That to, to kind of shed light on the people who have been sticking their necks out. We're exhausted. We keep trying to get people to understand how wrong this is, but... How do we, so I just want to finish up with, what do we do with all this sense of exhaustion? For me, I meditate. I attempt to sleep well. <laughs> I, and to that end, I, you know, take magnesium or there's lots, so many different botanicals. And you can take substances that boost up your mitochondria, your adrenal glands, you know, no sugar, um, and really, you know, good foods, homeopathy, massage. So no matter what part of this you can relate to, whether you are someone who really sticks their neck out, um, say like Peggy Hall, or who I had the pleasure to meet the other day, um, or any of the people that have been on the show, like Leslie Manukian, so many, I can't, I can't say them all, Stephanie Sanoff, everyone who sticks their neck out, to just take care of yourself. But, and those who are not really sticking their necks out, but do understand, try to just reach out to people and, you know, see if you can, I don't know, rub their feet, give them good food, something. But we all need to heal. We can't continue to walk around in this state of anxiety and this, um, or exhaustion. We really need to come together now. And those people who may or probably not, but listening to this, is get um, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s book, Letter to a Liberal, or get Matthias Desmond's book, or listen to any of the episodes on, so many of the episodes on here will really tell you what's going on. But let's keep waking up, and let's not go towards, let's break this mass formation. Let's break this technocratic totalitarianism that is creeping up to us. Become aware of what's going on and uh, let's hold each other's hands.